afternoon, ladies. Today, we're going to have a doctrine class on grace and virtues. And uh, next week, we're going to have class on person and society. God is fully good, fully loving, fully beautiful, and absolutely true. And these characteristics continue, continually flow and out of him. Within the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one substance, the relationship of love, grace, goodness, and beauty is so full that it overflowed through the act of creating a beautiful and good world. He created man in his image so that we could share in his overflowing love, grace, and goodness through our relationship with the Trinity. So we are called by God in participate in the life of the Blessed Trinity as our supernatural end. But God has granted us a participation of this divine life through sanctifying grace, which we receive in baptism. Here are features of the sanctifying grace. It is a gratuitous gift that God makes to us of his own life, infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin and to sanctify it. So it is a participation in the life of God who divinized us. It is therefore a new supernatural life a new birth through which we are made children of God by adoption, shares in the natural filiation of the Son. It introduces us into the intimacy of the Trinitarian life. As adopted children, we can call God Father united to his only Son. It is the grace of Christ by his passion, death, and resurrection he has given us grace upon grace. It is the grace of the Holy Spirit because it infuses in the soul by the Holy Spirit. Justification. So the first action of grace within us is justification. So it is the passing from the state of sin to the state of grace. This takes place in baptism and every time that God pardons are more sins and infuses sanctifying grace. When we were born, our soul was, spiritually speaking, dark and empty, spiritually dead. But when we are baptized, we receive sanctifying grace for the first time. So this sanctifying grace was purchased for us by Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and we become children, of, we became children of God. Once we have received the sanctifying grace in baptism, it then becomes a matter of life and death importance that we preserve this supernatural gift to the very end. So we lose this sanctifying grace when we commit mortal sin, cutting off our relationship with God. So we really have to preserve this supernatural gift to the very end So because we cannot enter heaven without this gift. Sanctification. God does not deny his grace to anyone because he wants everyone to be saved. 
we are called to holiness, and through grace, we are saved and reconciled to God. We are sanctified, we become holy. To grow in sanctity or to be holy requires freely cooperating with grace. We receive graces through prayers, mortifications, that's the prayer of the senses, and through the sacraments. These three needs regards to sanctified grace. We preserved it permanently until the end, so as to be with God our Father in heaven. So secondly, we recover it immediately if we have lost it by mortal sin. Finally, we seek to grow in sanctifying grace. None of these three things is easy to do. We need special help from God, and this special help we call actual grace. There are two sources of graces, through prayer, which is lifting of heart and mind to God, and through the sacraments. What is virtue? It is defined as a habit or permanent disposition, which inclines a person to do good and to avoid evil. Virtue consists in a mean between a defect and an excess, but it is not a call to mediocrity. It is not a middle term between two or more vices, but a rightness of will, a summit. In baptism, we are in a state of sanctifying grace and possesses the three greatest virtues of all, which we also call theological virtue of faith, hope, and charity. Faith is the belief in God that all he has said and revealed to us and that the Holy Church proposes for our belief. Man freely commits his entire self to God and strives to know and do the will of God. Hope is the desire for the kingdom of heaven and eternal life, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Charity is loving God above all things, and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. As Christ instructed us that you love one another as I have loved you. Besides the three theological virtues, there are four other supernatural virtues which are infused into our soul at baptism. These virtues do not pertain directly to God, but rather concern our attitude towards persons and things in relationship to God. They are called moral virtues, and, and these moral virtues are firm attitudes, stable dispositions, habitual perfections of the intellect and will that govern our actions, order our passions, and guide our conduct according to reason and faith. The following four moral virtues are called cardinal virtues. They are key virtues upon which all other not moral, natural virtues depend upon. So the four cardinal virtues and all other virtues as are grouped around them. Prudence disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. It is the right reason in action, says Thomas Aquinas. Justice consists in the constant and firm 
will to give their due to God and neighbor. Fortitude, firmness in difficulties and constancy in pursuit of the good, resisting temptations and overcome obstacles in morality. It enabled us to conquer fear, even death, and to face trials and persecutions. Temperance moderates attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. It ensures the will's mastery over instincts. A temperate person directs his sensible appetites toward what is truly good and does not let himself be controlled by his passions. In the New Testament, it is called moderation or sobriety. The wound left by original sin on human nature makes the human virtues difficult to obtain and practice. So to acquire and live the virtues, we count on God's grace, which heals human nature. Grace elevates human nature to participate in the divine nature. It also elevates human virtues to the supernatural order, which is to imitate Christ. The gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. The moral life of Christians is sustained by the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. So gifts of wisdom, to understand and judge rightly God's plans. Gifts, gift of understanding, to penetrate into the truth about God. Gift of counsel, to recognize and further God's plans in particular acts. Gift of fortitude to overcome difficulties in Christian life. Gift of knowledge to grasp the order of created reality. Gift of piety to behave as children of God and in fraternal matter towards others, being other Christ. Gift of the fear of the Lord to reject all that could offend God as a child would reject through love all that might offend his father. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are the acts which the action of the Holy Spirit produces in our soul in a habitual way. So we have the love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. The influence of passions in moral life. With the union of body and soul, our spiritual life, intellectual knowledge, and the free choice of will is subject to the influence of our feelings. So this is manifested in the passions, which are movements of the sensitive appetite that inclined us to act or not to act in regard to something felt or imagine to be good or evil. So the passions are also called sentiments or emotions. Love, anger, etc. are examples of passions. Love is the most fundamental passion. It causes a desire for the absent good and the hope, the hope of obtaining it, obtaining it. The passion has a great influence on our moral life. In themselves, passions are neither good or evil. They are morally good when they contribute to a good action, evil in the opposite case. 
human perfection requires having one's passions regulated by reason and controlled by the will. Because of original sin, our passions are no longer subject to the control of reason, and they constantly push us towards something that is not good. In order to channel them towards good in a constant manner requires struggle, and with the help of grace, which heals the wounds of sin. The will, if it's good, makes us use of passions, ordering, ordering them towards the good. In contrast, a bad will, which comes from selfishness, lives into disordered passion or uses them for evil. We need grace to be good. After sin made its appearance on earth, doing good became something difficult. The whole life of man is a struggle between good and evil. We need God's help for us to attain heaven. In the Declaration of Education of the Second Vatican Council, it states that because parents have given life to their children, they are seriously obliged to educate them. And therefore, they are the first and primary educators. This duty that is educating the members of the family is so important that when it is lacking, it can hardly be substituted. It is then an obligation of the parents to create an atmosphere in the family inspired by love, by piety towards God and towards men, which favors an integrated personal and social education. The family for that reason is the first school for human virtues, which all societies need. Above all, the Christian family enriched by grace through the sacrament of marriage, the children should learn to know, to feel, and to worship God, and to love their neighbors according to the faith received in baptism. In the family, they feel the first experience of the sound and healthy society of people and of the church. Through the family, the children can be introduced easily into civil society and into the church of God. So the parents should consider carefully, therefore, the importance that a truly Christian family has for the life and progress of all God's creation. And so with this, the family is the first school of human virtues. Here is a suggestive arrangement of virtues according to each by Mr. Isaac. First, the predominant, these segments or the age are grouped into from zero or no one up to the age of seven, from eight, age eight to 12, from 13 to 15 years old, and from 16 to 18 years old. So for the, up to the age of seven, the predominant cardinal virtue is justice. So we still don't have the principal theology of virtue, but the key human virtues is obedience, sincerity, and orderliness. Obedience mainly because they have to obey their parents. They have to be sincere in telling the truth and no lies. Orderliness, 
putting things in order. So taking care that you put your toys in the proper places when, you, when you're done playing with them. Then from 8 to 12, the predominant cardinal virtue is fortitude. And the principal theological virtue is charity. So the three human virtues are fortitude, perseverance, industriousness, patience, responsibility, justice, and generosity. From 13 to age 15 years old, so the cardinal virtue is temperance, theological virtue is faith, and the key human virtues are modesty, moderation, sociability, friendship, respect for others, simplicity, and patriotism. From age 16 to 18, cardinal virtue is prudence, principal theological virtue is hope, and the key human virtues is prudence, flexibility, loyalty, audacity, humility, and optimism. So in order to decide which virtues are most, most important at any particular time, various factors have to be borne in mind. So these are the key features of the age level, nature of each virtue, the actual characteristic and potential of the person we are training, the characteristic needs of the family and society, and the parent's personal prefer preference and capabilities.